Hello and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best and what we do to be better under pressure. Literally my second month in the role, we released our gender pay gap. Well, there was an enormous amount of feeling about it nationally, and it looks very stark. I think particularly in book publishing, where you know, it's a predominantly female workforce, there was a lot of anger and frustration and pressure. I've always counted myself as a feminist ally. At the same time, I couldn't deny the fact I'm a white man sitting at the top of this organization. I took it very deeply. People were so honest, women, in particular spoke about their experiences. It was a very painful and bruising process. Now I look back on that, it's like, wow, that was the most helpful and amazing mm. thing. If, if I hadn't felt under that pressure, if I hadn't felt it that deeply, I feel like as a business, we wouldn't have improved things such a lot. Today, I'm talking to David Shelley, Group CEO of Hachette UK, the second largest consumer publisher in the country. David's entire career has been in publishing. He started at independent publishers Allison and Busby, and in 2005, he joined Little Brown as editorial director. Initially commissioning with a focus on crime and thriller novels and overseeing the audio and ebook lists, he became publisher of their commercial imprint, Sphere, two years later, before becoming overall Little Brown publisher in 2011. He became CEO of Orion and Little Brown in 2015, and since January 2018, has been Hachette UK's group CEO, as well as an officer of the Publishers Association. Authors he's published include Mitch Album, Mark Billingham, Kyle Hyerson, Dennis Lehane, Val McDermott, and JK Rowling. In this conversation, he shares how he makes work not feel like work, how he uses storytelling in times of pressure, and what he does to pull back from strong feelings. David, thank you so much for joining me on Better Under Pressure. It's a real pleasure, Sarah. Really happy to be here. Let's kick off with, um, David, what does pressure mean to you? Um, I suppose over the years, I've come to see pressure differently. Um, mm. I think I used to see it as external things that happen um i suppose you know particularly in a work context uh things that happen that make me feel stressed or put me you know put me in a certain frame of mind i guess over particularly the last five or six years i've come to see pressure more as internal pressure mm. so uh, kind of just looking at myself i uh, there can be something that I think externally can be happening that might seem very dramatic or big, but I'll feel quite calm about it. Or there can be something that to other people will say, well, that was nothing or, you know, that that really wasn't anything yeah. that I would feel under a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so for me, I suppose pressure increasingly means kind of in my mind, kind of yes. what's, what's, um, what makes me feel stressed or anxious or kind of um, gets the adrenaline going, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's start there. What does <laughs> what does get your <laughs> adrenaline going, David? Well, 
uh and and, and you you know a lot of this well um because yeah. you know me but I, I think a lot of it is about when uh i'm trying to put this without sounding too sort of childlike but you know it, a lot of it is when i don't feel that i'm liked um yes that, that that I feel under pressure so if if there's a situation where more than one person or a group of people are saying something that I take as sort of negative about myself or that's sort of sending some sort of naked negative message to, to me about me that I suppose puts me under under some pressure oh yeah. I, I feel under I feel under some pressure in those situations Whereas, for instance, there can be something that's enormously big for the business. Yes. But, but but if I'm not getting those sorts of personal reactions to it, then I can feel quite calm about it. So. Oh, I love that honesty, David. I'm celebrating that honesty that you as a sort of, as a CEO can say, do you know what? The pressure really hits me when I feel like someone doesn't like me, but it feels worse than that. I think, I think it's something for me about you feeling isolated um, yeah. that, that can sometimes kick that off. And, you know, and, and I've seen you deal with some really mighty big business, external, what you might put in the external pressure bucket. And, and actually what you're saying to us here, and I think this is so relevant and so useful, particularly for people in very, very senior positions, that, the, you know, actually it's, it's a bit tough sometimes when, when you're right up there and you feel like you haven't got the sort of support maybe of the people that you would rely on would that be uh, yeah I, I think that's right I mean I, I mean I think sometimes conversely pressure it's interesting I was thinking before I did this so uh, pressure can be a positive thing as well so there can be yeah. some other times when that sort of you know hearing that from people feeling that can actually be a constructive thing I suppose in terms yeah, can, you, can you give examples of when because you know me, I mean, I think pressure is is a fantastic force for growth and and um, development. But I suppose what this whole com these conversations are trying to unearth when does that tip into something that's unhelpful versus something that's actually very, um, I don't know, enlivening. Um, and and so can can you share some examples, some specific maybe examples of when it tips one way or the other for you, David? Uh, I, I, and actually, if I kind of think back on examples, I mean, a lot of them tip both ways, I suppose. Okay. But, uh, and I suppose I kind of learned that I have a bit of a process with it where I can be tipped quite negatively. And then I tend to kind of think, right, pick myself up, right? What are actually, there are some really constructive things here. Yeah. What kind of plan can I make and how can I deal with that? I mean, I'll give you one example, which is, so I started my job, you know, CEO of Hashtag UK, I started that in January 2018 um yeah. in February 2018 uh it was the first release of the gender pay gap um yes that you know that the government required all businesses I think over 250 employees to release that gender pay gap um so we released our gender pay gap and there was an enormous amount of um well there was an enormous amount of feeling about it nationally because what it showed was that there is a big gender pay gap across a lot of different most industries the vast majority of industries and it looks very stark and i think particularly in book publishing where you know it's a predominantly female workforce to see that gender pay gap was particularly i think people knew it sort of instinctively but to see the figures uh so there was a lot of anger and frustration and in, in sort of uh 
pressure, you know, and, and, and it did feel like this pressure bearing down on me. You know, I was my literally my second month in the role. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've always, I suppose, counted myself as a feminist ally. I'd always, you know, been a value that was really important to me. At the same time, I couldn't deny the fact I'm a white cis man, you know, sitting at the top of this organization um, while while we're announcing this, this gender pay gap. So yeah, I felt I took it very deeply. Um, and, you know, people, you know, I, I hosted actually, we I hosted like 15 workshops, hour long workshops with different people in the business so that people could speak in small groups about it. People were so honest. Um, women in particular spoke about their experiences. It was a very painful and bruising process. But at the same time, when I look back on that, it was like I wouldn't have exchanged that for anything because uh, because it helped me to, you know, after 15 hours of, of hearing about that, you know, yeah. really, really directly after taking it all internally, um, I feel like as a business, it helped us, not just me personally, but the, the whole board, the, you know, all of us, it helped us to kind of formulate some more measures and more tangible things like what can we do to improve this? Yeah. Um, what can we do to re to reverse this? And you know, sort of, that th there were lots of things that we could do and that we should have done as a business before. And when I look back on that, I actually, mm. it's funny because at the time I thought I actually made myself ill. I remember going on holiday afterwards, and I was just my immune system was totally broken down. I got really ill because because I I felt into so much pressure. But now I look back on that, it's like wow, that was the most helpful and amazing. Mm thing if, if I hadn't felt under that pressure if I hadn't felt it that deeply I we wouldn't we wouldn't have you know we, we're not I want to be clear we're not nearly where we need to be but we mm. wouldn't have improved things such a lot um yeah and it's sort of like so I'm grateful for that as well as yeah yeah I love that I love that because that's sort of like seeing the pressure feeling the pressure and then leaning into it and not it not necessarily being easier leaning into it, but actually the growth that I'm hearing you talk about um, for you as a new CEO and also the direction of travel that you wanted to take, the culture specifically of, of Hachette, I understand. That was an, an important stretch point to go into the, into the pressure. And I love that. I mean, did you know that instinctively, David, or did you have to really talk yourself into that? Because I can imagine people listening to this thinking, right, that... I'm not sure I would have done that. <laughs> you, know, uh, uh, you know, how long did it take you to do that? It's a really good question. I mean, it took me a good couple of weeks, I'd say. You know, sort of, and, and, and I think that's one thing in the last five years specifically that I've got better at is it's mm. like a kind of mental pivot I do. Yes. Um, pivoting from the pain to something constructive to kind of, you know, where do I, when, you know, how do I, I absorb it? I, I think I... I think I actually need to feel that emotion. I need to feel mm. that stress, that that uh, upset, that pressure. And then there, there comes this little sort of thing in my brain, right, right now, how do I translate that into action? How do I get better? How do I, you know, how do I do something? Yes. Um, and, and and I suppose there's some situations where where I think actually, I don't think I need to do anything. I think this is unwarranted or what, what, whatever. But in the vast majority of circumstances, almost all circumstances, there's something in there. Yeah, yeah. There's something in there. It's like, right, what is the thing that that then I can take forward and I can make this 
um, a positive experience. And actually, it helps me to write it down sometimes. Right. That's that's interesting. Yeah. And and it, what I'm hearing is that there's maybe in the past it would have been a more um, a more of an urge to respond potentially. And what I'm hearing, I think, in this example is that 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 moment of pause almost that moment of like in this case it took two weeks where you were like untangling it and understanding you know okay there's a feeling a very strong feeling <laughs> which is your first it sounds like that's a really an emotional feeling feels like that's your first signal for you David yeah um and then it's taken some experimentation over the years as to how long that feeling sits a dormant or getting larger <laughs> your relationship with the feeling I think I'm hearing is what you now do so you know, it's a pivot I love this idea of a pivot point and how long does it take for you to pivot into action on that feeling uh, uh, yeah I, and I've learned with myself as well that there's a dangerous thing was when I'm feeling that feeling is not just to go instantly to like yes how do I make those people feel better or how do I respond to that thing because yes. that's not always the constructive thing to do and like you know, the constructive thing in that place sometimes is just to listen to it, to absorb it, and then use it in a different way, if that makes yes. sense. Yes. And how have you learned to do that in a way that suits you? That that relationship between the feeling and the pivot and and breaking the um the need or the urge to to fix it or make it better. I think that I mean, I guess it's just I mean a lot of things that's one of the pleasing things with kind of depth of experience when you've done it more than yes one time the more times you do it, I'm like okay I, I get I, it's almost like a sort of warning sign warning goes off in my brain but right okay you can go in different directions here you can kind of run down this sort of emotional or you can just sit with this for a while yeah and I, I think a lot of it I mean I have to say COVID and post-COVID this this new experience we all have of a more hybrid working is helpful for me in that respect mm. I think when I look back to a pre-COVID world when I was usually in the office five days a week when you're in that actual physical space it's quite hard to to take a step back and be reflective and I think now one conscious thing I do when I'm in this space is I I need to kind of retreat a little bit and mm. spend a bit even though it's a bit painful spending time by yourself because what you want to be I think instinctively you want to be surrounded by other people telling you it's okay and um mm whatever but but for for me now I think when I'm feeling that way when I'm that pressure's bearing down I I, I now deliberately take myself off a little bit to, to yeah. think about it properly yeah and and to kind of plan almost like uh I, I just it sounds sound a bit pretentious but I just read War and Peace I've never read War and Peace before and mm. there's so much interesting stuff there about military strategy mm. and um it's interesting because because you know I've never really I'm not particularly interested in military strategy I never thought about it before but a lot of that a lot of military strategy is kind of the feedback you get and what you how you, how you take that feedback how you think about it how you cogitate on it yeah. it's not just sort of people rushing at each other with guns or or yeah what, what whatever and so it's almost like a sort of it was helpful for me reading that because I thought well, actually that's kind of that's kind of what I do at my best I suppose is kind of take the feedback in, sit with it, and then kind of plot the next course of action. Yes, yes. Which, which, might mean, which might mean a diversion from where I thought I was going or the business was going. Yeah, and I think this is really pertinent right now, isn't it, this idea of cogitation. I like the idea of it being a strategy to cogitate. Yeah. 
and everyone's got a different way of cogitating. But I, what I'm witnessing is that people are not providing enough space for themselves to cogitate in a really thorough and useful way. Um, and that's partly because of the environment we're all operating in, which is huge uncertainty and, you know, um, volatility. But I love this process of, you know, what does cogitation mean for somebody who is getting a sense of pressure? And also, uh, uh, I heard you say earlier on, David, about the writing. So I'm hearing in here, there's a, there's a process of separation, physical separation, space, reflection space. And then within that is this is for you writing. Writing yeah, for me, I, I, I think there's also something I think is I think the other thing in the world that we maybe as a society don't talk enough about is the extent to which we've all, you know, we've all got these with us the whole time. Yes. And yeah. And the pressure that that brings and and the almost lack of a it, it, it impedes, in my view, it kind of impedes one's ability to really cogitate properly or yeah. Uh, you know, absorb things because the temptation is to be looking at something or sort of slightly numbing or, you know, sort of dealing with something or whatever. So I try to make, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying I always succeed. I try to give myself time away from that. Um, yes. yes. Pretty, reg pretty regularly and during the course of a day to, to have time or a working yeah. day, um, yeah. have time, time away from that because I do think that. I think it adds to the pressure. I think it adds yes. to the feeling of always being on and always yeah. having to re react rather than be able to step back at all. Yeah, and do you consciously leave your devices somewhere? Is that a conscious choice? Yeah, because I I mean, I guess we've all got an addictive personality to some extent. I'm really bad with the phone in, in the, you know, sort of if it's there, um, yeah. I'm quite, you know, I'm quite bad in terms of looking at it. So. Um, I do have you know times to the working day and and at the weekend where where I switch it off or I put it somewhere else or whatever and and I used to be I used to be very bad actually in meetings um, and I, I I don't take my phone into meetings now I don't take a laptop into meetings. Do you um, expect others not to do the same? I do and <laughs> it, it's it's difficult because part of me kind of thinks well sometimes people. Sometimes people take laptops in the meeting because they need to take minutes or, you know, they, they want mm. to take, you know, they want to take notes mm. or wh wh whatever. Um, I do feel I do feel it's it impedes people's ability to be fully present. Um, mm. And I think it's I think it's an important. I, I'm trying not to sound too old fashioned here because I'm <laughs> conscious. I'm conscious that I come from a pre-digital age. So, so maybe someone from a digital age would have a different perspective on this. I suppose my perspective is that sort of balance of of digital and non-digital is quite it's quite important to me yeah. um that yeah. of being physically physically present mentally present and then yeah. and then having that that time it's so i i really relate to that because you know if i'm if i'm talking to a group or working with a team and somebody's either on their phone or 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 it, for me i can it does produce a sort of adrenaline in me that because i feel like i I we're not giving each other our wholeness in that moment um and even if it is a note-taking thing it still takes people's eyes and energy out of one another which is the connection when you've got everybody I, in a I actually together. had a one-to-one -one recently and the person I had a one-to-one -one with doesn't normally look at their phone in a one-to-one -one, but it was quite a intense conversation mm. And then they were sort of looking at their phone and I could see them with a phone. And I actually thought, well, I, 
I, I always felt sort of is that for them a sort of um it's quite uncomfortable like like yeah. it's actually quite this is quite an uncomfortable conversation or quite an intense conversation and is that a way of sort of just numbing the intensity a bit or yes. get, getting away from it yes because um, I think I, I think that is something that we do as humans is it, it kind of takes the edge off a bit I, yeah. I think and, yeah but, but but equally I think it's really important to have that edge to have that intensity or discomfort sometimes yes true I want to pause here for a moment to talk about the practice of cogitation and devices. How do we boss our attention when there are so many potential distractions? I was at the theatre last week and the person sitting next to me was busily texting in the first half. This really bothered me. I was irritated on behalf of the performers, I was irritated on behalf of those sitting around me and I was irritated with myself that I was even bothered by what she was doing. Why couldn't I boss my attention and focus on the performance regardless? And before I knew it, my head was full of a dialogue that had nothing to do with the piece of theatre that I'd paid to see. This is the seduction of distraction. A lot has been written about our attention being stolen, and there's increasing research to show that a life defined by fragmented attention can increase pressure and fatigue. In fact, according to some research, the mere presence of a smartphone reduces our ability to focus, even if we're not looking at it. What David's sharing here, which I think is worth emphasising, is how devices can impede our ability to absorb what's going on now, in front of us, to be physically and mentally fully present. And as he says, be able to cogitate on what we're picking up. This might be a specific conversation or a meeting or a particular environment. Devices and cogitation rarely sit well together. Our devices increase the pressure on us to always feel on, reducing our capacity to be present with a thought truly with it, to cogitate on it. So what can we do? David talks about how he's learnt to pivot from a difficult feeling into something that's tangible by being with it, to create a moment of choice. This might mean resisting the urge to solve it immediately or get distracted by something else. I thought it might be helpful to summarise what he's been experimenting with to create this pivot point for him. He takes himself off to deliberately cogitate, to sit with thoughts, listen to the feeling and plot the next course of action. Love the fact that he says plot. He writes, saying that it helps him work out the tangible next step. And he consciously chooses digital time and non-digital time. For example, he actively chooses not to take his phone or laptop into meetings. When the research is showing that on average, we spend three to four hours a day on our phones alone, being more deliberate about what we choose to focus on and what we're modeling to others, especially in moments of pressure, is becoming increasingly important. Over the years you've worked on, you are still still working on the best strategy for you when, when you feel under pressure, to turn it into a pressure for growth rather than a pressure that's going to do you in. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I try to, um, I try, I try to, I, 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 and I think it helps for me kind of thinking back to previous examples yes. and thinking, Oh God, I felt at the lowest. I mean, I'll give you another example. We we launched a new warehouse four years ago. And um that was a really tough time because when you launch a new warehouse, there are various technical things that don't work perfectly. And there was a lot of and in our business, books going out promptly to the shops and everything incredibly important. Um yes. it's an incredibly important part of the business. And there will always be these sort of teething troubles with a with a new 
warehouse launch. So I, I'd never been through a warehouse launch before in my job as an editor. It never really prepared me for that. Um, yeah. But I really, it was a very, very stressful and intense time for me. But now I look back on it. It's really, these sorts of things are really helpful for me to look back on because mm. now our warehouse is functioning better than ever. It's brilliant. Uh, you know, all the shops are saying good things that, you know, our clients are saying good things, the publishers are saying good things. Like, it's great. And, and and it sort of helps me to think that I felt so low at that point. I felt under such pressure, but equally yeah. I'm aware that for me and the team, we were going through it together. For all of us, like that pressure helped us a lot in terms of getting to where we are now. And yeah. it's sort of such a, it, it's such a sort of um, intrinsic part of the journey now. Yes. That, that that and I and I see that as part of the journey of leadership generally, that I don't think for me I can have a kind of good journey as a leader unless I have those lows. Like I don't think I mean it, you know, I, I do we deal in publishing in stories, and every story, you know, the hero's journey or any story archetype, mm. Mm. you can't have a good story that doesn't have some real low points, and you can't have a good story where the hero doesn't feel under great pressure. Yeah. Um so 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 for me I take those now as like this is part of the journey this is yes. intrinsic this is important yes um, and, and I do genuinely feel like if you'd asked me five years ago I'd have a completely different response so what what are you putting what's different from if you had to nail what is different from five years ago that allows you the freedom to have that different response what is it um I think for me in the job that I'm doing there's just there's just uh you know, it's a large, complex business, and there's always something that could cause stress in it. Um, right. So for me, it's about the velocity of different challenges, and it's not like anything I'd experienced prior to that. So if you think about an arc of a year or something, the the drama or the pressure, whatever, not that not any all jobs are you know full of pressure or whatever. But just the number of different things that are happening all the time in this job, I suppose, has given me, a, has just built up that sort of, um, I don't know, shell, if you know, you know, or just a perspective, I suppose. Built yes. Up that perspective, because there's always something happening and you could either let, let it sort of drag you under or, or, or it gives you this amazing perspective that the, the these this is how you can respond to those things I, I don't know if I'm making much I don't know you are I think what you're raising for me is this sense of also learning because it's funny you should mention the hero's journey because if you don't go through all those stages on the hero's journey it can take you back to the beginning again and you repeat the same thing over and over again so though those breakthrough moments in the hero's journey are absolutely fundamental to growth so you know you see people I see people in my life marrying the same type of person over and over again you know um, or falling into the same relationship over and over again because that moment of stepping back where you say you know we, we did that together as a team my sense is there's some sort of um, collecting of the lessons or understanding what it is and even you reflecting back you're reminding yourself of a lesson that takes you further forward in the hero's journey than actually repeating back to the beginning again is that does that yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely, that's absolutely, and one of the things that's really important to me, one of the, the pillars we've got is growth mindset. Yes. And I find it fascinating, you know, these two things that people can have growth mindset where they learn from successes and failures, or they can have fixed mindset, which is mm. to say, 
you know that you know just just an and I, I just find it fascinating with different people where somewhat something can happen and someone will then say i think i could have done this differently i think this could have you know yes. if i hadn't done that that could have, you know and that for me is brilliant and it's it's sort of how you learn how you it's almost like taking the emotion the, the trick almost seems to be like taking the emotion out of failure yeah. a bit yeah and being able to learn from it whereas often you do you must hear this as well from people where there's a failure and then they'll say oh well you know the conditions just weren't right or this thing yeah. wasn't happened but they, there's nothing about themselves no and that always really no. disappoints me like I always think in yeah. any situation whether it's wholly your fault or not and I, I maybe it's unpacking that notion of what fault is or what you know because I think people we take it as humans very sort of deeply but actually to be able to say well actually if I just see that more less with less less emotion or something and just see it as nothing I learn yeah then it frees you again absolutely and I think that's what I'm hearing in the root of not only your own growth or what you know how you've managed to to shift and still are shifting your relationship with pressure um how you're also enabling that within the culture that you're building at Hachette by having growth mindset as a pillar but it's a, it's a habit isn't it it's, a, it's an absolute choice and it, I and and only a leader can model it with themselves or they can expect it in the way that they review tough and, situations and and I think the other tough thing in a corporation is trying to make failure feel safe for people mm. because I think it you know a corporation is you know it's a large business there people are people are trying to get on um i i get how there's a lot of work and we there's still a lot of work for us to do to make it a really safe environment for people to fail in um in in a way i've got a more of a luxury than a lot of other people because i don't have people bearing down on on me sort of if i Mm. say i've if I say I've failed in something and, mm-hmm. and talk, talk about that, um, mm-hmm. I think almost, you know, and I remember when I was more junior in the organization, I guess it felt less safe to, to, yeah. to fail because you knew to some extent you were being judged and you want to be judged positively. Yeah. So, so, so part of the, uh, the work we're doing is quite a lot to say it's okay to fail. Uh, but the point is how you, how you fail and what you learn from it and how you move on. Yeah, that's sort of what you'll be. That's what you'll be judged on, not not whether you ever fail, because we all fail, um, yes. constantly. Uh, but it's it's a fragile it's a fragile thing. You must see this in organisations as well. Well, yes, yeah, absolutely. And and that fine line between being very open and honest about where you are finding it tough and what you've learned through that. So you know, in that story of you with the gender pay gap, you lent into it. And you were very honest about we we want to be better, but we need to have some conversations about that. Um, it's how do you model? I mean, where I see this really um, strongly in organisations is when the leaders are open to learning themselves and are modelling that. Then it then it builds much more of a culture of okay, so we can all do that. That's okay. Um, in fact, it's expected potentially. <laughs> I, I mean, one thing I've learned or I'm learning is the number you're never done with this stuff like you no. have to carry on. <laughs> so I feel like almost like I can think about points in time where I felt like yeah, that message has been really clear. But then it has to be constant. Like like it's 
and you can be set back can't you that's the yeah. other thing that's interesting you can go from being what feels like quite a safe place where people feel able and then suddenly it feels a bit unsafe because something's yes. happened yes that makes yeah. everyone retreat a little bit so I mean that's the sort of fascinating thing isn't it that, that you're always it's a bit you can never just sit back well you can but you're unlikely to shift anything it's again a choice isn't it I suppose do you remember I mean what's the worst pressure you've ever been on or you can remember in your life David the worst pressure probably is when I just say so this is when I was much younger and I just taken I just been given the job running a very small company called Allison and Busby owned by a fantastic Spanish uh guy uh he and his team were in Spain it was a team of six of us in the UK I was running that uh and I was very young I was like 23 so so it was a it felt wow it was this kind of seismic as for a 23 year old yeah uh, and he he obviously saw some potential or something that made him think I could do it and and it was one of those weird situations where I think he thought I could do it I had no idea if I could do it or not I thought I probably couldn't but I sort of felt I had to try um I knew very little at that time I you know only been out of university two years I'd been an assistant editor then I'd commissioned a couple of books I knew nothing about the nuts and bolts of the business literally the second week I mean we're sorry we're back to book distribution here but literally the second week that I took over um we had this book distributor and it had been it was just uh, the turn of the millennium and it was when everyone was worried about millennium bugs do you remember that and yes so so this distributor had completely changed its computer system in order to be millennium bug you know not to have a millennium bug but in so doing the whole computer system had gone haywire Mm -hmm. um the second week I was up there, the the um, the distributor went into administration. You know, it's completely ruined. Uh, all our books were stuck there. We had no way of getting them out to customers. This was in like literally week two of me as a 23-year-old being given <laughs> responsibility for something I had no idea about whatsoever. I had to then try. I was literally ringing. I looked, I think it was the yellow pages then, like looking in the yellow pages for book distributors, asking a couple of people I knew going around book distributors. Like it, I, I felt under such pressure at that time yeah. because I, I knew how ill equipped I was to make any of these sorts of decisions. When I look back now, obviously, <laughs> not obvious, but like, I think, wow, what an amazing experience. What an amazing learning experience. I grew so yeah. much in yeah. the space of a few weeks. Like, I mean, I probably learned more in the space of a few weeks than I normally would in a few years. Uh, yes. But but it was so intense that I, when you're when you're learning at that rate, it's mm. I remember my head used to hurt at night like I didn't yeah. have any energy for anything else. I was completely uh, absorbed by it. That that yes. that. When you said the most pressure, that's where I went to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even now you look back on it and see it as a, a massive growth moment. <laughs> and and I love your point about when you can look back and remember that and note to yourself, look, it felt like that and look what happened and look what you did. I, lo- I think that's so important that we do that. Um, have that ability to keep stacking them up. And and it helps, yeah, it definitely helps me in the moment I'm in the moment of something else, thinking I'm in the moment now, but this too shall pass, like, and then yes. I'll, then I'll be, this too will, 
and and it sort of hasn't i think it hasn't failed me yet like i don't i can't think of an experience you said is there anything like i can't think of something where it's just been miserable and i haven't learned anything no brilliant and how would how do you deal with other people's pressure so i mean there are things that i know for you just don't provide pressure but other people that you're working alongside it is highly pressure or it feels like a pressure for them how as a leader do you manage people who are feeling pressure and you're sort of looking at it thinking really Uh, again you know I'm in the business and I think this is something fortunate about being a book publisher I'm in the business of telling stories I'm in the business of narrative and I think as a leader, how you tell the story is vitally important. Mm. You can have the same story and it can be told in lots of different ways. And some ways will be energizing for people and some ways will be really demotivating. So I tend to, when there's something that's a business pressure where I know that I'm feeling calm about it, Mm -hmm. I tend to try to make the most of that in terms of talking about it in a way that I hope will take people around me who are feeling stressed about that thing and they'll see how calm I am or how excited like like Mm. I I I think often yeah when something when there's a business challenge that can be exciting so Mm. for you for me for me (laughs) and and I try to get that excitement across I think that is something you try to do as a leader you try to say we've got this budget of x amount this year and you know how you tell that story can be different you could one could say oh we've got this budget this year it's really scary and daunting how will we ever be able to achieve it or there's the story of we've got this budget this year wow if we get to the top of that mountain won't that be really exciting how will we feel when we're there um that will be such an achievement um it's a real privilege to have these challenges and not to just be coasting along and just doing things that we know are easy. Uh, we, you know, we need to take the mountaineering stuff. We need to have some kind of hard peaks to, to, yeah. to, to scale here. And I, and yes. I think those two, those two, th- th- those, it's the same thing, but just really different stories, right? Yes, yes. And do you anticipate that, David? So do you, as a leader, go right? I know that X or this team or these individuals are probably going to be looking at this coming down the line and are going to react like that. So therefore, I'm going to jump in, anticipate that. Um, I'm just wondering how you do it or do you just feel it when you see it? Kind of a bit of both, really. I think you can. I think you can sense something in the air. Mm. And I, I, I think businesses sometimes go businesses can sometimes be very insular and can kind of just view themselves as a sort of you know just just a totally self-contained thing but actually not in my experience often businesses are reacting to the outside world and what's going on so if I look back at the last few years for me a lot of what's gone on internally is as a response to what's going on externally yeah and most recently you know some of the recessionary pressures the the cost of living that you know kind of these things affect us as a business and they affect us psychologically as humans as well. Yeah. So I tend to try to kind of spend a lot of time thinking about what's the mood, like what's the mood in the air and what do I need to do to kind of help steer people through this? Yes. I'll give you another example, actually, with COVID. Yeah. It was a really, it, it, there were so many different phases to it. 
And there was one phase when I remember just waking actually in the middle of the night and thinking what people really need right now is a feeling of um, some sort of certainty. There's such uncertainty here, but it felt right to me that from me and others in the business that we were able to provide some certainty. And so that was kind of almost like a little project for those few right. weeks. It's like, we're going to come with some specific details about specific things that are happening or that we're doing because that felt like the need. Um, right. There was another point during COVID when I kind of felt like people want to be listened to. People are quite frustrated or angry. They need to be listened to. So then there was like kind of a stepping back moment of kind of like we're listening. Yeah. Um, but but you can't it it's so interesting. I find it so fascinating with a with a with a business that the mood is always shifting. And what yeah. I think as a leader, as a leader, it's trying to steer this course, isn't it? Between having some constant principles and some constant things, like I said, growth mindset's one of our pillars, like some unshifting things, yeah. but then some tonal things that do shift and aren't yeah. too rigid based on how people are what the mood is. Yes. Yes, and presumably you've got your team on the lookout for that. So I like to call them sort of your court jesters. You know, who are your court jesters that have got an ear to the ground to understand, particularly in the hybrid world, how people are? Because it was easier to pick that up, I feel, when everybody was in the office all the time. What I'm hearing now is it's much harder because not only have you got the global aspect, but you've also got people not regularly connecting in the way that they used to in a different way one really important thing for me actually you said the court jester thing is actually because i think that's a real trap potentially for leaders is having two or three people that they really trust and rely on to give them feedback and that's good but i've seen other leaders when i was more junior i've seen other leaders where that feedback to my mind has been flawed or partisan yeah. or yeah whatever yeah. so for me like part of my my sort of focus is really like how do I get as much feedback as possible from as broad a range of the business from all levels of it in as honest and unfiltered way and not to be relying on those you know those couple of trusty lieutenants or my assistant or what whatever which is where, where I've seen other other I, I've seen it as a trap I don't if you see it like a trap of leadership mm. can be that it is quite isolated yeah. you don't have and and then you become increasingly reliant on these few sources, and that there's a for me there's a personal danger in that. Yes. Uh, so, so 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 I try to I try to keep that feedback as broad as possible. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Because like different bits of the business can be experiencing things in wholly different ways, yeah. and we've had it so we had someone on the team who was very mainly dealing with a sort of senior management. And she gave me some feedback, like everyone's feeling this way. I, I had strategy sessions directly with a lot of junior members of the team that same week. We'd had like workshops and strategy sessions and I knew they were feeling a totally different way. And it was kind of important to know both those things. The senior yeah. management was feeling this way, the junior management would feel a different way, but I wouldn't want to not have either of those bits of feedback. Yeah. Talking of feedback, I remember receiving a message on Facebook from an ex-student of mine who I taught about 20 years ago. And the message said, Hi miss, glad I found you here. I really enjoyed our lessons, but I was one of the quieter ones and you never asked me my opinion. I wish you had. 
I think about this a lot when I reflect on feedback. And in hindsight, I wish I'd been braver and been more open about how I could improve as a teacher to help them improve and learn faster. To model that learning never stops, it's lifelong. Learning faster is particularly vital in this current environment to keep adapting. I love the question David asks himself. How do I get as much feedback as possible in an honest and unfiltered way and not just rely on a few people in my team? What a great question. In medieval times, the court jester was an entertainer with a unique role of offering candid feedback, sharing perspectives and insights that otherwise the king or the queen may not have known. And what David's reminding us of here is so crucial. Who are we asking? Who do we rely on? How might that become limiting? In my opinion, one way of getting feedback that can guarantee difference of opinion is to make it open and attributable. Go to the people whose views you might fear. Be brave. Regular review and seeking feedback are vital ingredients in becoming better at anything. Self-awareness on its own can be very unreliable. Who do we have in our lives to help us grow? After every rehearsal, actors are given notes from the director and expected to work on them before the next rehearsal. In sport, the coach gives the athlete feedback after training to improve their performance. The current environment is pulling us all to go faster. And what David is highlighting here is the importance of slowing down to keep learning, to be brave and to ask a range of people. This doesn't mean we have to act on all the feedback, but it models to everyone that we're open to learning and taking on feedback from a range of sources as a crucial part of our own personal growth and improvement, however senior, and whatever the pressure. And that's important for your pressure valve, isn't it, David? Because as you said at the very beginning of this conversation, the way people are feeling matters to you. Yeah, and, and like, I mean, we've all done, I suppose, our Myers-Briggs profiles, and I'm definitely <laughs> a sort of F person rather than a T person. <laughs> so, and I know that about myself. And um, so, so actually it is quite important to that point you know, I've got some people I work with who are much more thinking, analytical mm. people rather than sort of intuitive feeling people. And it's important for me to spend time with them at yeah. moments of pressure to pull myself back because I know a danger for me as well. I can go way too deep into feelings. Yeah. I actually, I can think of a specific example. I was in Australia and I was on a business trip and I was down a real rabbit hole of feelings and emotions and then pressure and um I was with a colleague who's much more in the sort of thinking analytical phase and he just said to me look you know David it's all this thing is all actually fine you don't need to stress about it quite as much and that draw just one statement for me because I trust him and it was it was hugely important for me yeah yeah to be pulled back a bit away, you know, so pull, yeah. being pulled back from some of the rabbit holes I can go down. Yeah. And that's where somebody close at hand is helpful, isn't it? To notice that that's the sort of thing you do. So just look out for it because it's helpful if you can see me going down into this emotional rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I suppose that's why I rely on people close to me in the business more so than the feedback thing or it's feedback about how I can be better probably yes yes so so if you were to say what are your non-negotiables for you remaining as 
at the top of your game, I suppose, David, in this in this current environment, where are you stand now with all of the learning that you've had over the years? What would you say your non-negotiables for you to perform at your best? Um, one thing I learned was such a learning experience over the COVID lockdown is that I'm definitely an omnivert. So I need for me to succeed. And it's probably the number one. I'm coming to it first because it's the number one thing I need the right mixture of uh human contact and time by myself if i have too much time by myself that's really bad for me i don't function at my best if i have too much time with other people and not enough time by myself i don't function at my best so i've really i'm quite sort of rigorous about how i structure my diary now is to have enough... how do you do that yeah um by being well quite prescriptive I suppose with my assistant about how we organize things so I all, almost always work from home on a Friday because I know that having you know and I crack through a lot that day and I do a lot of thinking and I do a lot of reflecting and I write lots of notes um so I always do that I, and this is an and that's something I think you taught me like I never have back to, I try never to have back-to-back meetings during the week mm. I try to have some time at my desk by myself where I can. Um, but equally, I know then it's a funny, it's like a sort of alchemic balance and everyone's got their own thing. I, I actually know now that I need to have a certain number of work social things every week. Yes. I, I need publishing to very lunching business. I absolutely love that. I actually need probably to be doing three or four lunches a week mm-hmm. um, because I need that social energy. I need that external energy. I need to be doing some stuff in the evening. I need to be seeing friends. I need so it's this, yeah. it's this weird sort of mix for, for for me. But I I feel like I need I need that. And I, when I look back at previous times mm-hmm. when I've felt depleted, I've either felt depleted because I've had too much. You know, I can think of like there was a uh, a trade fair where I was out five nights in a week, and I was busy during all the days, and I've never felt a sort of low or is shattered or is depressed at work and that's too much contact but then equally during covid i felt incredibly low i was one of the people probably who struggled most being home all the time away from other people i need to be around people so um so 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 for me the principle i mean i always feel like that's the principal thing if i have enough if i have that right balance then i feel i can function pretty well by my own standards as as a leader yeah. Uh, I, I think there's other things I know, you know, I need to sleep right, I need to eat right, I need to exercise, all of those things. But like that almost for me comes naturally when I'm, when I've got that balance. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I love that. I love that, that you now know, and I so relate to that, David, I, I can look at my diary and sort of by the shape of it, know that if it's good shape or slightly over one side or slightly over the other. And I can sort of see it just by the shape of it on the page. It's it's really weird. And um, I think it's so important that, that, that leaders have that idea of what is a good week for them and what is a good space for them. And I've got a couple of other clients who really need this external connection in order to feel um, basically vibrant and potent in their role as CEO. 
that you know that their ratio is how much of my week is internal and how much of my week is actually reaching out externally and understanding you know the world and that died and, and that's different for each person but I think what I'm hearing here which I really think is helpful is in order for us to be better under pressure and really evolve and grow through it we have to know what the shape of our our time up this al alchemic balance i love that word of what works for you and unless we step away and keep and keep looking at it and thinking right is what i was doing last month last year two years ago still working for me now we don't have that rigor um we're missing a trick i think yeah i i, I completely agree i think the the other am i allowed one more thing or is yeah that, go is ahead okay <laughs> um I think the other thing that's so crucial for me is that work doesn't feel like work. Um, that Ooh, work... How do you do that? How do you do that? So I think, okay, so so for me, like like the best times I have at work, and actually to be fair, that's a lot of the time I have at work, is when it just feels like fun. It feels like something I want to be doing. So so I think for me, fun, I know it's I know it sounds, I don't know, you know, it's not... Uh, work as fun is really important to me yeah and I suppose that means for me working around people who don't take things too seriously and who I can laugh with I think mm -hmm. laughter is really important I think I've never read you know we published loads of business I've never read one about laughter in the workplace but it's for me it's so important and I'm sure yeah. for lots of other people as well like I it just helps me it's just like being, you know, it, it's just helps keep it fun. And and yes. I know, I know when I'm with a very, well, actually, I'll give you an example. When, when I was young, Alison, you know, this company, Alison and Busby, very small company, when I was looking around warehouses and there was one guy who was showing us around and it was like a three hour tour and he was so serious and <laughs> he didn't crack a smile the whole time. Uh, I mean, he was also quite patronizing and, you know, sort of was thinking, what's these 23 year old doing kind of. And um, I was like, I couldn't. Well, even though actually on paper, that probably would have been a better warehouse for us to go to. I knew I couldn't forge any kind of relationship with mm. him because I couldn't have any fun with him. Yeah. So I think I'm not saying everyone has to be all kind of raucous the whole time or kind of making jokes, but. For me, that feeling of like, and I, I, for me, it gives me positivity, energy, yeah. optimism, yeah, all of those things, and it makes me kind of bounce out of bed in the morning. So, yes. working with people who have, you know, who can have a sense of humour, and and I think also you do go through some quite dark times mm. in business or in senior mm. leadership. Mm. Having some people that you can, you can, you can be humorous with. Yeah. It, yeah. it helps. I think it helps so much when there's a difficult time, if there's some humour there. You know, even some gallows humour is really yeah, helpful. I totally agree. In fact, I've had quite a few people on the podcast. I remember Julie Harris from uh, Comparison Technology she said, you've, we've got to laugh. It's, we, it, laughter is really important to her. I think there's a lot of people where that's very important. And there's a lot of science behind, you know, the power of laughter and the power of a smile when you're under stress. And, you know, your brain can't, manage being stressed and also you smiling it's like <laughs> it goes what <laughs> you know and it's good if you could do nothing else just smile on top of a worry yeah. it's sort it of just, like goes, it just oh. calms you doesn't it it yeah. just it 
it has a sort of endorphin effect or something um, yeah absolutely so for me that's a non-negotiable actually I think for you yeah for me yeah yeah and do you share that with the people that you work with so in terms of your non-negotiables and how they'll get the best out of you is this sort of part of how you people know obviously your assistant knows that because she puts you at home on a Friday but um do other people that you work with know what your these non-negotiables are for you I think so I think more so now post-covid than I think it opened up a lot of more honest conversations yes. about that. And I think I felt more able to be, I think pre that as well, I felt in a quite a cliched way, I felt I need to be in the office five days a week. I am this sort of leader. I just need to take it on the chin. Like kind of, that's what, that's what you need to, that's what you need to do. And I didn't, I, su- I suppose during that experience of COVID, and maybe that experience of having done it for a few more years, and yes. feeling that that actually I can do it a bit more in my own you know I can do it in my own way I don't have to be a cliche like I can yeah I can have that space and I think leaders I think increasingly are freed up to do things in their own way I think that's one be one brilliant development over yeah. the last few years and yeah and, and, and seeing some of the examples come from west coast US as well that it's not you know it's not always a man in a suit or kind of, you know kind of yeah. people have different styles so so yeah. I think increasingly I increasingly I have been a lot more honest about sort of I need my space now and n- now I need to do something social yes and now let's get together and now let's be apart yes and the other thing that I know you've said to me is very important to you increasingly so David is this voice outside of Hachette you know this these these um conversations that you want to stimulate or be part of um regarding you know what's happening in the world with books and publishing and 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 you've always said that 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 purpose almost that purpose beyond just one place and having a sort of wider impact in your position has been important to you it is really important and I've done you know in the last couple of years I suppose so I was we kind of take it in turns, but for last year I was president of the Publishers Association, and that was really interesting and exciting, spending more time with politicians and talking about what books are, what they do. Uh, I think, I think, you know, I feel lucky, I feel genuinely lucky because it's a business that I went into because I love books, and then I found out I love the business as well, and I love business full stop. But it's a it's brilliant to be able to go out in the in the world and talk about you know books are doing better than ever like sales are going up kind of more people are reading teenagers are reading more tiktok five percent of tiktok interactions are about books there's all this amazing stuff out there that people don't necessarily know about so there's almost like i can maybe have to stop myself sometimes but it's almost i have a kind of evangelical quality about it uh even when i'm with friends to kind of be like look like books books are amazing I and I can't think of I can't think of anything else that is such a kind of conversation starter in the world yeah uh as as books um and and that are as kind of culturally potent um and, and commercially strong as well so yeah absolutely I love I I love I love getting out of the out of the business or out of the industry and and sort of evangelizing about it really yeah and I mean, what's so wonderful is I can feel it across now. Like, you know, you've that phrase of popping out, you've just completely popped out in the last, like, 
I mean, you pop that anyway, David, but there's something about when people touch what really matters to them, it is so contagious. And I, th I think that's so important when, you know, this, this, there is pressure, yes, but if we can just really find ways to connect to the things that light us up, um, it's another force, isn't it? It's magnetic. Yeah, and, and actually, and I, and actually, conversely, I love being around people from other industries who are passionate about their businesses and yes. hearing about that and then trying to bring some of that energy back. Um, and here, and, you know, there's there's a lot of studies done, well, you, you'll know this on creativity and how it's essentially about making connections between disparate things. <laughs> and I love, I, that's another thing I love going out in the world is, like I was, I was having a conversation with a guy who runs a, a lottery firm in the US and he was talking about like how they measure customer behavior how they analyze customers like there was so much I was taking from him that was like oh we can really apply this to book publishing yes as well and sort of that's exciting I find that exciting maybe yeah. that's another non-negotiable way like kind of being able to go and experience like hear different things experience and then bring them yeah like, kind of magpie kind of bring them back to yes to yes and it's what you said when you were reading War and, War and Peace, that, you know, you're taking things from that into your own way of managing yourself and leading. I, 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 and I think, you know, and I think it's been really helpful for me working with writers, creative people, and looking at the way they take ideas from around the world and use that yeah. to inform what they're writing. And I think as business people, we, sh we do the same, really. Like, you know, you're, you're taking bits from everywhere and that that for me is the exciting thing yeah. and, and hearing different things and kind of finding different tools in different places that's that's cre and I guess creativity is really important to me like being creative yes. at work is, is yes. very important yes and it seems like that's a way into managing a problem or a pressure for you is to be creative with it like yeah, all those not, examples you've shared are not are not necessarily the obvious response I, I, I think I'm at my worst when there's a rule book. If when someone says, and actually I know this about myself generally, is that I cannot follow a recipe. Like I, I, I love to cook, but I cannot follow a recipe. I will not follow a recipe. So kind of, I know I'm at my worst when there's like, here is a sort of Bible of what you must do. Yeah. The, these are detailed instructions, follow them. Yeah. I'm terrible. Like I'm not popping out at all. I would be the opposite of popping out um, yes. and I think I'm at my best when there's no rule book and actually that was what I found with the COVID experience was yeah it was really but incredibly liberating and exciting in lots of ways what's been very difficult in other ways but kind of as a leader actually the rule books all ripped up what can yes. be more exciting than that yes Oh, I love that. And now I've got a whole new nickname for you, which is Magpie. I think that's so good, that Magpie idea. Um, so, David, I, I always finish this these conversations by asking my guest what would be two pay forwards if there was somebody listening to this podcast and they wanted to be better under pressure. What would be your two pay forwards as an offer to them? I think it's one would be very be very deliberate when you are under pressure about thinking uh, oh well actually actually one very practical thing I, that I did in the first year that I was 
CEO was I actually made a list on my phone of proud achievements. We love that. Things that I think probably prompted by you, Sarah, like kind of <laughs> things where I've been in it, where it's been tough, but we'd got through it in a positive way and I'd learned from it. And I literally made a list. And that's one thing I would say to people actually make a list on your phone of things where you've got, you know, you've triumphed, you've got through it. Um, you've learned, you've failed and you've learned, or you've succeeded and you've learned. And then when next time you're going through that, actually just look at that list, yeah. actually look at that physical list. And it does have an amazing, well, for me, it has an amazing ability to connect me to, okay, I may be feeling under pressure at this moment. I'm There might be this difficult thing happening, but I know from all these previous examples mm. that I've learned from it, I've got through it, the business has you know become stronger as a result um that's for me that's really powerful do you when you write it david do you have a a way of writing it or do you free write just i'm just really curious about how do you log those proud moments over the years um i just actually have it in the notes section on my iphone yeah and i just write them as just statements like uh and, you know trying to think of the first year kind of um did town hall successfully or you know where, where warehouse move difficult but got through it or what whatever kind of just just quite short statements yes yes so underneath it you know how and what you did but the the trigger is the statement that you did you that was the situation and you got through oh, it. and I suppose then when I read it I just go back mentally to that whole situation yeah. I don't need all the for me, I yes. don't need all the context or anything like that. I just think, oh, yeah, that was horrible. And now it's great. So, yes. Right. Yeah, great. Thank you. And your second one would be? My second one would be I had a, um, I, I think a really key thing for me, again, is, is like perspective. And, but perspective is one of the hardest things. You know, when people say it's not the end of the world, <laughs> but it can feel like the end of the world the yeah. world um and mm -hmm. there was for, for me I try and keep in mind again I mean I guess it's similar to the the, the other one particular moments there's one particular moment I, I mentioned mountains earlier I love mountains and um uh but it was one yeah one day I, I, I my husband was ill so normally we go walking together and we were in the Alps and um but I had to go walking by myself. So I did this really long walk up a mountain by myself. And I felt for whatever reason, this incredible just calmness at the mm. top and this feeling of perspective and this mm. feeling of just, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a calm person, but at that moment I felt incredibly Zen, incredibly calm. I felt like I understood what, where everything sat in relation to each other that sort of, you know it's really hard to describe that mm. feeling but just this absolute sense of like centeredness and calmness and mindfulness and all of those things and that actually again like that I I think almost consciously whenever I think I'm under pressure I think back to that particular mountain to sitting Wonderful. at the top of it looking across all the other I think there is something about mountains that brings perspective yeah. but like for me that particular moment so I think having, if there is a moment when you've ever felt like that, like whether it's by the sea or mountain, kind of, you know, whatever, I think often it is in nature in some respect yeah. or 
the kind of a moment when you just felt really still and really calm and really at peace um like just thinking back you know because I can almost like smell it I can feel it I can you know it was years ago but I can remember what the snow felt like I can remember I can remember everything and that 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 for me taking myself back makes me feel even now talking about it I feel a lot calmer um Mm. so 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 I think if there is a moment for that that would be my other kind of play it for kind of if there's a moment for you like that kind of when you are feeling at maximum pressure things are really busy kind of putting your phone down just thinking think thinking back to that moment what did it feel like what did it smell like what did it look like yeah yeah I love that David thank you how great talking to you well vice versa I always love talking to you Sarah (laughs) thank you so much David I really appreciate it great thank you for having me it's been great Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Better Under Pressure with me, Sarah Milne-Rowe. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about. Our aim is to share as many examples as possible of what people do to manage pressure for better. If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method. Alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Better Under Pressure was produced by the fab team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, goodbye.